9-11 came, they were doing what they wanted to do. They were going to work to the biggest job in New York City. Nobody knew they were going to die. That's the voice of FDNY Captain John Vigiano, a resilient leader whose sons followed him into a life of service but were tragically killed on the morning of 9-11. Joe Vigiano was an NYPD detective. Joe called me right after the first plane hit. Dad, put on the TV. It's a plane just hit the Trade Center. I said, Joe, is it, what was it, a Piper Cub? I said, I don't think so, Dad. I'm on the West Side Highway. There's a lot of smoke. I think it's bigger than a Piper Club. Okay, be safe. Love you, love you. It's the last I ever heard from him. John Jr. became a firefighter like his father. He also raced to the World Trade Center that morning. John called me. He was supposed to be off that day. Somebody called up. His kid was sick. John says, I'll work for you. He went over to the Trade Center. One went in the North Tower, one went in the South Tower. The buildings come down. Captain Vigiano was retired when the Twin Towers collapsed. He left the department in 1998 after dedicating 36 years to the FDNY. Prior to that, he served as a sergeant in the U.S. Marine Corps. And before his enlistment in the Marines, he joined the National Guard at the young age of 15. It's easy to say Captain Vigiano earned a quiet retirement, traveling with his wife Jan and watching his children and grandchildren grow. But the unthinkable tragedy that occurred on September 11th resulted in continued service for the Vigianos. To honor their sons, Captain Vigiano and his wife worked tirelessly donating their time and resources to improving the lives of Gold Star families and our nation's post-9-11 military veterans. I'm your host, Patty Murphy, and you're listening to the Leadership Under Fire Optimizing Human Performance podcast. On July 8, 2018, Captain Vigiano passed away after a long battle with cancer. In this episode, and the one to follow, you'll hear from nearly a dozen people who knew him best and were impacted by his leadership. You'll also continue to hear from Captain Vigiano himself. In the fall of 2015, he sat on a panel in Bowie, Maryland at a Leadership Under Fire conference, candidly reflecting on risk and resilience, which we are fortunate to have recorded. The story of the Vigiano family's sacrifice has been told on film, recognized by our nation's leaders, and has garnered a tremendous amount of media attention. But my goal in this series is to present a more intimate look at Captain Vigiano and the extraordinary life he led. Amongst giants, maybe whether they're significant political figures or leaders, military leaders, rock stars, movie stars and actors, John was the one that the room would turn to. He had this incredible ability to make you feel like you were the only one in that room. That was Tina Atherall. She has more than 25 years of experience as a leader in the military nonprofit community and worked closely with Vigiano during the post-9-11 years. Danny Murphy, one of Vigiano's lieutenants in Ladder Company 176, echoed Tina's sentiment. John's the type of person that we all kind of shared. You know what I mean? And I think I've seen some of the guys 
before them that have passed and say, hey, you know, these, we share these guys. We share them with their families, you know, and, but there's really not another guy that I would have known like this. You talk about a unique guy amongst unique people. He was, John Vigiana was one of a kind for sure. But before he became known all around the world for his resilience and leadership, Vigiano started his career in Ladder Company 103 in East New York. The year was 1962. I was blessed. I worked in the firehouse as a fireman where I didn't know which end of a match would strike. I mean, I was just out of high school, went in the Marines. First job that came along, I was a fireman. Of course, he had to learn from other experienced firefighters. One in particular influenced him as a probie. Dan Tracy was in the adjoining company. Quiet, unassuming man, but everybody said he had the big S on his shirt. This man was Superman. So I wanted to meet Dan Tracy. I wanted to see what Superman looked like. One day, the young firefighter got what he wanted. So we had a job one day, and being a probie, I ended up in the wrong position. I went back to get a tool. When I came in the building, I didn't know where my boss was. I don't know where to go. I ended up with him. And I'm banging into things. And as anyone here who's had the six-foot hook for the first time, it's almost like having a 12-foot hook. You're hitting everybody. You're knocking things over. And this man is looking at me, and he says to me, you having trouble? And I said, no, I'm, I'm doing fine. He says, where are you, where do you work? Because I have this orange front piece. I said, I'm in 103. He says, I think 103 is supposed to be upstairs. Oh, he said, come on. He takes me to the door and says, they're up there. So I go upstairs. My boss says, where the hell were you? I said, I had to go back and get a tool. I'm not going to tell him I was downstairs with the enemy. So he puts me to work. Everything is fine. We're the first ones to leave because the fire ground is still the first two truck. So I'm downstairs at the rig and I'm putting my stuff away and Superman comes out of the building. He walks over and he says to me, how'd you do, young man? And I looked at him. I says, uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks. I, I found my company. He says, you know, when you're carrying a hook, he says, you carry it in the building with the hook up. Don't put it down. Because eventually it's got to come up and you're going to knock somebody down. I smiled. Thank you. And he just patted me on the back and walked away. I had no idea who I was talking to. Then one of the senior men come over and he says, Hey, Dan, what did the idiot do? He says, he did a good job. So I says, who was that? He says, that was Dan Tracy. Dan Tracy was my idol from that day on. The stories about Dan Tracy were embedded in my head. Then I would read how he'd made these fantastic rescues as a fireman. Dan Tracy did this. Dan Tracy did that. And I would fantasize, if I was in that position, could I live up to Dan Tracy? Preparation and quiet professionalism became tenants of Captain Vigiano's leadership. Chief Thomas Richardson, who presently serves as the Chief of Operations for the FDNY, considers Vigiano one of his senior mentors. He exuded a positive energy and a sense that he held all of us to a high standard of being ready to go to work at all times, 
always being mindful of the team and always being able to pass on our experiences as we go through our career. He talked about that a lot. Vigiano transferred to Rescue Company 2 for a short period, but returned to Ladder 103 until his promotion to lieutenant in 1976. Assuming a position as an officer during the FDNY's war years suited him well. The years increased with the fire duty. The more fires I went to, the better I got. The more I learned, the more I taught people. And it was just a progression. So you learn from experience. You learn from your mentors. And that's really the essence of the fire service. Vigiano transferred to Rescue Company 2 in 1977. By now, Lieutenant Vigiano had developed far beyond a young, disoriented firefighter and was naturally emanating the leadership qualities of his idols. Danny Murphy and Chief Richardson paint a vivid picture of the company at the time. When we started going to fires, we started to run into this rescue company, which was Vig and his crew. And, you know, everybody kind of had a little bit of an edge to them, had that salt. But these guys stood out. It's just, they just went from fire to fire to fire. A lot of us younger guys just said they, these guys, they were, they were like phantoms or ghosts. You know, they'd come, you'd see them, you wouldn't see them, and, uh, and they'd be off. And I, I came to know uh, John Vigiano, which is like, who the hell, are, who are those guys? He says, oh, that's Vig. Vig and his crew, you know, Vig, Kleehouse, Steinhardt, ILP, you know, uh, uh, Pritchett, guys like that were the guys that we would see. So amongst amongst standouts, he he was the guy. I remember saying, that, you know, you're, that's the guy I wanted to be like. What I really learned when I walked through the doors of Rescue 2 was the, I'll call it a culture of can do. It was a culture of always being prepared, always being at the top of your game, always trying to learn from one another. And John, as a lieutenant, you know, as a, as a young firefighter, I, I looked at John and I saw how influential he was on all of the people in that unit, um, especially those that worked with him regularly. You could ask some of the young guys he worked with that said it's three o'clock in the morning. If somebody asks a question, the rig's going out, the compartment's going to open. And they're going to drill. And that was... And that was a unique thing about him. And, and no matter what, he, nobody would say anything because he was the type of guy that you didn't want to look bad in front of him. You didn't want to look lazy in front of him. There's, there's other officers. If they, if they decided three o'clock, and it's happened. It says at three o'clock in the morning, they decide they want to cut up a car, you know, for a hearse tool drill. They're, they're going to have a little bit of a mutiny on their hands. It says, but with John, it's everybody's like, nobody wanted to like, look like, uh, they, they weren't uh, as into it as him. You know, he might look at somebody and say, what's the matter, son? You, are you tired? Like, oh, oh, no, 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 that's, uh, no, I'm, I'm okay. He was, he could, he could get away with it, but he was, he was really unique, you know, just because, because he had that reputation and everybody knew who he was and everybody wanted to look good in front of him. According to Vigiano, he had good reason for being so hard on his members. Going above a fire takes a certain pair of stones. It's just not something a normal person will do. Most people are running down the stairs. Nobody wants to go up. Your first experience with that is probably going to define how you're going to react the rest of the time. 
As a firefighter, I learned the hard way. I learned by doing. When I became an officer and I went to a rescue company, I had a different talent with me. I had the senior men of the job, the experienced men of the job. So I really didn't have to carry them. All I had to do was assign them. I knew the job would be done. Vigiano remained in Rescue 2 until his promotion to captain in 1988. Battalion Chief Chuck Downey was a firefighter in Ladder 176 when Captain Vigiano was the company commander. Chuck Downey is the son of Chief Raymond Downey, who was killed while leading rescue efforts at the World Trade Center on the morning of 9-11. At one point in their career, they were extremely close. And then obviously, as you get promoted and move on to different places, you know, like any anywhere else, uh, you know, you get there's a little distance and you're not as close as you once were. But yeah, they were very, very close at one time. They actually even studied together. Mm-hmm. So I would come home from school back in, you know, middle school. I remember more specifically when they were studying, I guess, for captain. And they'd be sitting at the kitchen table, two or three other guys, you know, studying away for the promotional exams. Mm-hmm. You must have been young at the time, but did you pick up on anything during those sessions? Probably they were two of the more, you know, I, I look back now respected, but back when growing up, um, you know, <laughs> fearful of, you know, my father's demeanor and, and at the time Mr. Vigiano's demeanor. And there was a few other guys in the neighborhood. Um, you were just very intimidated as a kid. They were so stoic. They were so, uh, you know, the demeanor that they held and the way they just held themselves and, you know, that Marine look or, you know, the Marine nod or just, uh, that's what I remember as a younger kid, just being fearful of the both of them. <laughs> you know, I guess that was probably instilled the respect for authority growing up that way, you know. Ladder Company 176 was different from Rescue 2, and the newly promoted Captain Vigiano found himself navigating a challenging environment. I went back to a ladder company where I had the assortment of young personnel, six-month men, one-year men, two-year men, five-year men that I can do anything, and then I had the senior men, thank God, that could keep the five-year men in line. John Fowler is now a retired FDNY firefighter who served in Ladder 176 as a probie. His father, Battalion Chief Vincent Fowler, joined the department in 1949 after having served in the Marines during World War II. His brother, Vincent Fowler, was killed in the line of duty in Queens in 1999. Perhaps his family's lineage of service had something to do with Vigiano's response to a prank Fowler played early in his career. So somebody said to John, like, you don't have the, I'll just say, you don't have the courage to hit the captain with a pail of water. His son, John, who was the fireman, kept calling me and uh, saying that it was his birthday, you got to bucket him, do whatever. And I don't know how it took off from there, but it was definitely a lack of judgment by carrying out the act. He lets the bucket go and he hits the captain who had, he had the uh, Board of Merit paperwork because John signed on the Board of Merit for the medals for the FDNY. Mm-hmm. And the other hand, he had his class A's and he said, the guys that saw it, it says that the ground wasn't wet. In other words, he hit him, he hit him with every drop. So Vidge comes into the, into the firehouse and he goes to the guy in the house watch and he's seething. And he says to the guy in the house watch, I want the guy that hit me with the pail of water in my office immediately. He says the house watchman didn't, he didn't hesitate. He hit the intercom and he says, John Fowler to the office immediately. 
I don't really remember coming down the scuttle ladder off the roof. I got my wits together and went in there. And I had, you know, Jerry Uzi was a lieutenant. He was sitting there laughing, you know, but like covering his face. And Bob Ostrand, and there was the down the hall. He was the engine lieutenant. I still remember looking down at him trying to, <laughs> I had that altar boy thing. Going. I mean, it wasn't funny then because I did think I maybe oh, no. was going to get thrown out of the firehouse. And I was like, God, like, why did I do that? You know, type of deal. But it was, and his wife, uh, Jan, did not. At a few, it took a few company dances before I think she uh, wasn't dead eyeing me. You know, it was so. But it was a overall. I guess it was a, an okay thing, but it, it wasn't at the moment. And it was like the biggest thing was wasn't a disrespectful thing. John looked at him like like his own kid. If you did something at home and your father was mad at you, your father loves you, but he's, he's going to have to discipline you. And and that was John. And the firehouse was their family home. Although a bit wilder. We had a lot of animals in there. They had a couple of, I guess, python snake, one or two pythons. They had you know, fish tanks and piranhas. I think we had alligators, I think, were the big things. They had a couple of alligators that when they got too big, I'm not sure what we really did with them. I'm not, I, don't know, I think they actually ended up dying. If, if they ever ate anything from the area, but you know, not that they would. We fed them all stuff from a pet store, a local pet mm-hmm. store. So, But yeah, there was a lot of the kitchen was filled with with all sorts of things. Had to be, it was just the way it was, but thinking back, it had to be creepy to some people coming through there. You know, snake, everything around you. But yeah, it was- A lot of reptiles. A lot of, it was all reptiles. Yeah, we, we, had a, we had a dog that we took in that I think I brought there, the dog Maximus, a big bull mastiff. And uh, yeah. and he, so we got him from <laughs> the pet store How many did he turn out to he be? He ended up being like 150 or something yeah. like that. But he was like, we brought him there and he worked out. As Murphy explains it, Vigiano's military background would show up, demanding the most from his troops. John held guys to a high standard, and you know it said you we, you got to be you got to be tough, and you know you don't you don't go sick. But uh, one particular night, there were two guys. I, I guess it's, whatever it was, is a fire, and and uh, a guy had a minor a minor burn, and uh, he was in the back of the ambulance, and the other guy. Uh, was going for the side of the ambulance and bitch, he's just the guy in the ambulance. He's on the gurney, you know, the EMS guy is starting to take vitals. And John, in the way that only he could, he looks in the ambulance, he sees the guy. I just, I'd, I'd love to know what was going through the guy's mind when he saw Vidge looking at him. He just looks in the ambulance, he goes to the guy, he goes, no, no, out, out. And he gives the guy the, you know, the, he says, get, get out. And so he, now the guy gets up off the stretcher, he comes out of the ambulance. The other guy who was going for the side door, of the ambulance pivoted on his foot as he was going for the side and took off uh, the other way. And the EMS guy started to yell at him because he doesn't know who he is. And he's like, Hey, Hey, you can't, you can't take my patient. And Vidge looks at him and he goes, shut up, Corman. He, he called him a, he called him a Corman, you know, from, uh, from his, from his military days. And the guy got back on the rig and, and, and that was the end of it. It was in this setting that the members of the company would learn from Captain Vigiano. He would talk about tactical and communications and building construction and how he was so artistic when he drew stuff on the board. I don't know if anyone had said that, but he was no, extremely artistic. Yeah, extremely artistic. He could draw a building. You know, it was he was just fantastic. He had a book for everything. He had a procedure for everything. He had a contingency for everything. He had a backup for everything. What happens if a street light in front of the firehouse goes out? What happens if there's a pothole? in front of the firehouse. You know, who do you call? You know, how do you get it fixed? I worked with some tremendous officers, but there was nobody, nobody that was more squared away, 
squared away than John. He had a passion, truly a passion for teaching people. He often would say to us that one of his primary missions as a fire officer was to teach the rest of us how to be officers. He certainly accomplished that. During the conference in 2015, Captain Vigiano gave a clear example of how to train others in the fire service. His intensity for developing others is clearly apparent. How do you train them to go above the fire? What I did is in training in an environment just like this. Black out their face piece and tell them, go up the stairs. There's no heat. Just feel. Just find out what it's like to be blind and going up the stairs. Get up to the top of the stairs. You did it. It's not that bad. Now you have to go to a fire. And you've got to pray you can get that job where your position is above the fire. You don't point. As an officer, you lead. You take that person up the stairs. No matter how hot it gets, you've been there. You know, through your experience, when it's time to stop. That young man that you're bringing with you has no clue. He's going to follow you wherever you take him. So you take him up those stairs. As long as you're talking to him, he'll go with you. If you say to him, back out, he'll back out. If you say, let's go, keep going, keep going, he'll go with you. Once he finds out that you're not Superman, you're a mere mortal, and you went up into that hostile, hot environment, and he went with you, you've made him a firefighter. The next time you send him up those stairs, he's going to remember that. He's going to say, I did this already. I can do it again. He'll gain the experience, and then one day he'll go up those stairs, and he can't make it. It's just too hot. His senses will kick in. He'll back down a few steps. He'll reassess it, and maybe he'll make another shot at it, or... He made the right move. You don't go up there. Sometimes you just can't do it. But unless he's had that experience and you've taken him there, he'll never learn. For those around him, Vigiano's support went beyond the fire ground. He prioritized their overall well-being, which made a strong impression on people, including Murphy. It's not always fire department and tactics. You know, a guy's Mm -hmm. having a problem at home. You know, a guy had a problem with his, uh, with his wife. It says, you know, he had a problem with a, with a kid. A kid was sick. You know, he had a, you know, uh, the, the car, the wife wrecked the car, whatever it was, you know, the, sometimes the guy's problems, it says, you know, we're all human beings. It said, and John, John was the type of guy he, he would take care of, of, uh, of, of the guys. And, and that's the thing that I took from John, just taking care of, taking care of the guys and whatever, whatever it happened to be that they needed. I took that. That's probably the one thing I took from John, you know, looking after the fellas. For Fowler, it was Captain Vigiano's ability to connect that was one of his greatest attributes, a quality that would later serve him in the post-9-11 years, visiting our nation's active military members and veterans. He just, he just, he had, the, he had an unbelievable ability to be that guy, but also like connect with somebody like me, like 30 years younger than him. And 
and have fun with you, enjoy and let you be you. In Vigiano's eyes, these connections and lessons in tactics and leadership could be the catalyst for a life well-led. Whether you're coming from a, an affluent home where everything is handed to you, or you're coming from a broken home where you have to work for everything, it makes no difference. You have to make that decision and you have to make that path. And that path takes you to many places. Take you down the right road or the wrong road. But somewhere along the line, somebody is going to show you the right way. If you use your brain, if you use common sense, it'll come to you. And once you get on that path, it's up to you to develop it. FDNY Lieutenant George Guinan knew Captain Vigiano since childhood. His father was an experienced firefighter who worked in Ladder 120 in the Brownsville section of Brooklyn. George was a firefighter there too, but in 1995, with the ability to probably choose any firehouse to work in, he was assigned to Ladder 176 as a lieutenant. The icing on the cake was John Vigiano was there. Guinan and Vigiano worked well together for several years. Then, feeling confident with Guinan in place and nearly four decades of service behind him, Captain Vigiano retired in 1998. But on June 5th of that year, tragedy struck the FDNY. It was uh, not too long after the Vig retired. Um, we had a, a covering captain, Scott LaPedra, uh, who was uh, covering the spot there. Um, uh, he was uh, supposed to work that night tour for me, uh, which he did. Uh, I was working the day tour, so he was coming in to relieve me. Um, as a matter of fact, he, he called me, I guess, about 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon to tell me he might be a little bit late because he was at a retirement party. Um, I said to him uh, not to worry. I said, if you want, I'll work for you tonight. It's not a problem. And um, he said, no, I'll be in, you know. So he finally showed up. It was um, a little bit after 6 o'clock, and uh, he was still in his civilian clothes, um, and a run came in, um, he's like, I got it. And I was like, you're not even dressed yet. I'll take it. You know, and he's like, he raced me to the rig. He got on the rig and out the door they went. Um, and I was like, okay. So I went home, arrived at home. And, uh, my wife at the time told me, uh, you got to go back to the firehouse. The fire was fatal. Captain Scott LaPedra succumbed to the injuries he sustained fighting the blaze on Atlantic Avenue and Lieutenant James Blackmore made the supreme sacrifice as well. Captain Vigiano met Guinan at the firehouse to deliver the news. I came into the office and he told me and I picked up the desk lamp, threw it into the wall and a short while later he kind of grabbed me by the neck and he said, take whatever time you need to grieve. And uh, that grabbing of the neck was kind of both comforting and both leading at the same time, you know. And he was uh, telling me quite pointedly that there were guys, my company, our company, that was uh, waiting for their leader to uh, figure out where we go from here. It's a dangerous world, the fire world. So you can laugh, you can joke, you can pet the Dalmatian dog, but when you go to work, you better keep your shit together because you may not come home. And it's the office's responsibility not to protect you. He can't do that. He has to give you training. He has to teach you that what you do, your job, and you're going to do it on your own, 
is something you have to do over and over again until it becomes routine. Captain Vigiano continued to see Guinan through his grief and offer perspective. Guinan received the following letter from Captain Vigiano, which captures this moment in time. So this is dated June 20th, 1998. It says, Dear George, just a little note to let you know how much I appreciate all that you have done for me. I knew back then that you were the right man for the company. I needed you, but more importantly, the members of Ladder 176 needed you. You lived up to that tenfold. This recent tragedy had us all looking for answers that may never be found. Should have, could have, and would have are all suppositions. Destiny is controlled by someone a lot smarter and bigger than we are. We should always question our actions, but never second-guess the decisions that we make. We are in the profession of firefighting. Most of the time it is fun, but there is also much pain and suffering, especially for the victims of fire. Each tour you make out a riding list. Any one of those young men could be placed in harm's way, but that is our job. We are responsible to complete our objective, and in order to do that, men must be given tasks to perform. It is our duty to prepare them for it and to ensure that they complete them. If tragedy befalls them in carrying them out, that's not our fault. We must try harder to ensure that it won't happen again, but that is not always possible either. I know that you had a few tough days after the job. Unfortunately, they will always be in the back of your mind. I hope by now that you have them in the correct perspective. I've leaned on you many times and you were always there. For that, I will always remember you. I feel fortunate at the ripe old age of 59. God has given me a big brother and a friend for life. Your friend, John. Guinan read that letter at Captain Vigiano's funeral. It's a glimpse into the resilient mind and spirit of the man, which would later be tested. Anything you teach a fireman is worth it. Anything you can pass on to another fireman is worth it. So mental toughness comes from being prepared. We've spent most of this episode dissecting John Vigiano, the decorated FDNY captain with experience during the busiest times in the department's history, who was groomed from a young age in remaining stoic under pressure. During these times, Vigiano accomplished many things in his life, including winning a battle he waged with throat cancer in the 1980s. But nothing compared to the time he spent with his family. I had them as a child, as a young boy, and I had a very, very smart woman that I married. She would say to me, it's time for you to take the boys into Boy Scouts. I don't have time. You know, I'm a fireman. I'm working. I'm going to school. Blah, blah. You'll find time. Taking those boys, 10 years old, into Boy Scouts, I watched little boys grow into young men. They both became Eagle Scouts. Anybody here's a scout knows the price you pay. But I was part of it. I watched that growth. I watched boys become young men. 18 years old, they stayed with the Boy Scouts as mentors. The years spent as an officer translated to Vigiano's home life. The influence of that resulted in Vigiano's sons choosing careers as first responders, 
Of course, Captain Vigiano was well aware and accepting of the dangers of their professions. The mission comes first. If you train your men, they'll execute the mission. Will they get hurt? Maybe. Will they die? Maybe. But you got to prepare them for that so they understand that. Vigiano also impressed upon others the importance of relationships, especially family members. used to tell my sons, I don't care how tough a day you had with your wife, you don't walk out of that house without kissing her on the head or saying I'm sorry. Because you may not come back the next day. September 12th, they never went home. But before they went to work, they kissed their kids and they kissed their wives because they were taught that. You have to prepare for the worst. When the worst occurred, Vigiano found peace in the fact that he spoke to both of his sons on the morning of 9-11, and the last words they shared were, I love you. Captain Vigiano quickly joined the recovery efforts at Ground Zero, searching for his two sons and the countless others he mentored over the course of his career. Time spent in retirement was now behind him. He stepped right back into his old ways, leading others through times of crisis, setting an example for all. There was a chief at the trade center, and John's two sons are missing. You know, they, they knew there was no hope for them. And there was a chief that I guess John didn't really have a lot of respect for. And uh, he saw John, and John's all business, and he walked up to John, and he was crying, the chief was. And he said to John, and and, and Bitch is kind of, in that moment, he's kind of like, get a hold of yourself. You know, he's like, Pat. And the chief said to him, so, John, John, your kids, your kids. And John just snapped at him. He goes, I got a hundred kids in there. Like, compose yourself and go do your job. And I said, man, I said, that's, when you talk about putting family first and, and a guy who just, who had just more courage than anybody really ever knew. Obviously, he was down there with us pretty much the whole, up until May. You know, we, we were there, if not, you know, every day, every other day. And maybe being so stoic and, you know, losing two children and still, positive and still performing and still encouraging and you know I, I still remember one time I was having a tough day down there and you know he just sat next to me he started BS and you know a couple jokes a couple good memories you know and, and, and he just you know he said we gotta do this for them. Captain Vigiano and his wife Jan vowed not to let their sons and loved ones to have died in vain. We said we would take the broken egg and make an omelet. In the next episode, we'll dive deeper into Captain Vigiano's personal life and the support he and his wife provided our nation's post-9-11 military veterans. First, please note that proceeds from the 2019 Leadership Under Fire Optimizing Human Performance Digital Summit Package will be donated to the Captain John T. Vigiano FDNY Family Transport Van. During the second episode in this series, you'll hear from FDNY Deputy Chief James Ginty, the president of the foundation. But you can go to leadershipunderfire.com and click on the premium tab to sign up today. Here's what's coming up next. It sounds a little contrite, but family values. And again, it's how you take what was given to you and what you make out of it. 
grandfather was able to fill the gaps that my mother was not able to, just as being a man. So every Monday night, one of the things we would do, we would go to Boy Scouts growing up. You know, I lost two sons. And I'm not going to sit here and say there isn't a, a minute that doesn't go by that I don't think of them. In particular, my uh, grandfather was big on making sure the everything was good before you left the house between you know your kids and your wife or you know from my case a girlfriend or a mother and just saying you know I love you and you know just you never know and I think with the events that took place it really sent that home and how true that can be. There was a tremendous emotional balancing act that Captain Vinch navigated in the years following 9-11. Shortly after the wars had started, made his first trip to the Army's hospital at Walter Reed and then the Navy's medical facility at Bethesda merely to offer his gratitude firsthand. He always had that ability to be looking and seeing who may not be noticed and who might be in the most pain because ultimately that's what he beelined for. He could see it in the hospital rooms. And, you know, I know that he would always bring along some of the best people who could create laughter, but it was the way that he held his presence that was so important. Many of the wounded troops at Walter Reed and Bethesda at this time, when asked, I mean, across the board to a T, when asked, why did you go? They pointed to the morning of 9-11. And he here's this this individual, this this figure who who's a, a symbol of all that was lost that morning, but yet he comes as an ambassador to show his appreciation. And probably even more importantly, he comes as a beacon of hope. You lose your kids, you say the world is over. It could be. If I stood up here and I whimpered and I was crying, you people would start to get teary-eyed and say, ah, oh, he's an old fool. I cannot be any less than my sons. They were brave men. They lived a good life, short life, but a good life. My wife and I vowed that we would continue to do that. That's the definition of resilience, then we have it. The Leadership Under Fire podcast provides a platform that helps to prepare performance leaders to navigate the moral, mental, emotional, intellectual, and physical rigors in high-risk and ultra-competitive settings by developing strength of mind, body, character, and critical thought. For more on this, visit leadershipunderfire.com.